as we continue today. Uh, we, we took a break last week to celebrate our Faith in Action Week. Oh, by the way, if you didn't get a donut, uh, what better way to celebrate dads than with donuts? Except maybe bacon. Malia, can we, can we remember that for next year? Uh, too much work, she says. I think Scott's worth it. And so I want you to chew on that for a whole year. Um, and next year we'll, we'll, we'll maybe add bacon in the mix. But we got donuts. So if you didn't get one or you want another one, because let's be honest, they're small, um, grab one on your way out or right now. Listen, it will not offend me. If you halfway through are like, I could use another donut. Just go get one. It's fine. Right? Also, uh, we have a gift for you for all the men that are here today. <laughs> Lowell just got up to go get a donut. I love it. I don't know if that's where he went or not, but he just got up and... Listen, follow the leadership of your elders. Uh, we have a gift for all of the men here today, too. Um, uh, listen, whether you drink coffee or tea or hot chocolate or coffee um, or more coffee, whatever it is, make sure you grab one of these. They're on the table out there. I, I, most people miss them when they came in because they came in and went straight for the donuts. And they were on the other side of the foyer. So make sure you head out that way. Grab yourself, grab yourself a, a, a gift as uh, our way of saying, hey, happy Father's Day. Thanks for being with us. There's plenty out there. So help yourself. All right. We took a break last week to celebrate faith in action. Uh, and so today we jump back into 1 Corinthians. And if you've been tracking along with us, and I hope you have been, um, you know that today we are in 1 Corinthians 16, which is the last chapter of the letter that Paul wrote, the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, right? Which means we have just a couple of weeks left as we wrap up 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to deal with chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up and have them handy. We'll have some stuff on the screen too, but it's nice to be able to read along. Um, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to look at the first four verses, which means you should be really excited because if you're tracking along with us, you know that that means what we get to talk about today is giving. Yeah. Woo. Generosity. Tithing. I mean, you should be as pumped up as I am to talk about giving. That was pretty, um, actually, it's pretty much what I expected. But, but come on, guys. Um, hey, so there's two problems whenever we come to talk about giving. Um, one is the perception that the church just wants your money. Listen, I want to be extremely blunt with you if I can be. The church likes your money. Right? We do. We do. The church likes your money. Why? Because your money helps fund the ministry that we do, which is about bringing a hurting world the hope of Jesus Christ. The church does not need your money. We like it. We don't need it. Okay? But there's a perception out there, whenever it comes time to talk about money, that the church is after your dollars. Right? That's really what we want. We want your dollars, and that's what makes us happy. Listen to me. I don't know what I know what some of the churches have done um, to make that feel true, right? They, they get on TV and um, they ask you to call this number and, um, you know, you've got to donate the money so that they can do the whatever and we got to buy the jets. And there has been some terrible fiscal accountability in churches. Um, and I get it. 
right? But, but that, that's out there, and it happens, and it's unfortunate. But in here, I feel confident in saying that there's nothing that's happened in here that should cause you to wonder or believe that this church is about your money. But there is something that we want. It's what Jesus wants. And that's your heart. And I would love to show you a slide that will back that up. But because it's Father's Day and there were donuts and I was excited and I was chatting with people, I forgot to bring my clicker. So Philip, could you hook me up? Thank you. Right, and here's what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot. Literally, Jesus is saying it is impossible. Right? He's not saying it's really difficult. He's not saying it's complicated. He's not saying it's really hard to pull off unless you're extra special. He is saying you can not serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't love God and love money. You can't have it both ways. It doesn't work. I'll meet you halfway. If I do that, you'll stay off video. There you go. That's my bad. That's a rookie move. Like it's one I might have made seven years ago and we just said, oh, that's okay. Right? He's new. Seven years though, guys. I ought to have this down by now. The point Jesus is making is that your heart can't be divided. Jesus, God, they are not interested in your cash. They are interested in your heart. Therefore, myself and the elders and the leadership of Blessed Oak Community Church, we are not interested in your cash. We are interested in your heart. And here's what we know. We know that when you love your money and your stuff and the things that your money gets you, that you will have a divided heart. And we know that Jesus says you cannot love both. You cannot love God and love money. And we live in probably the most opulent consumeristic culture in the history of the world. And most of us, if we're really honest, we desire more and more stuff. We just want more and more stuff. Whether it's newer cars, bigger houses, remodeled things, newer electronics, bigger phones. You remember when smaller phones was a thing? Who remembers when smaller phones was a thing, right? They tried to make them as small as possible, and that was cool. And now we want bigger phones, right? Just, just hold on to your small ones. It's coming back. It's coming back. You'll be in trend. It'll, it'll be a thing. Bigger TVs, boats, bikes, cars. Listen, uh, there's nothing wrong. Vacations, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're all fine. But if they have your heart, 
then Jesus does not. And so whenever we talk about money, whenever we talk about stuff, whenever we talk about tithing and giving, which Paul is very clearly going to address in these four verses to the church in Corinth, right? We have to start with this framework, this understanding that if your goal financially is to have more, then Jesus doesn't have the place in your heart that he desires to have. And those aren't my words, those are his. You cannot serve two masters because you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money or the things that it gets you. You must choose. So Paul writes this next chunk of scripture based on this principle that we're going to start with. And this is the principle. It's in question form, but, but you'll, you'll feel it in there, right? What does it look like for you to begin operating under the assumption that God has given you everything you have, not for you to have more, but for you to give more? Right? There's a principle that we start with that's a, a presupposition of Paul's as we get into this text right? And, and, it, and it, it stems from everything Jesus said about money. And Jesus talked about money a lot, right? Because he knew that money was a thing that would grab the human heart and, and it would try to take residence in the heart, this desire for money and the things that it gets you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You can't love that more than you love me. You can't. You can't love stuff more than you love me, because if that's the position you're in, then I am not the Lord of your life. And you cannot really truly follow me unless I am the Lord of your life. Your money and your stuff must be in a subordinate position. In fact, you have to understand the principle that everything you have is a gift from God. And he did not give it to you so that you could spend it all on yourselves. But he has blessed you in every way so that you can be a blessing. Core value number four at Blessed Hope Community Church says this, we are conduits of God's grace, not containers. We don't exist so that everything that God gives us will fill us and only us. But we are meant to be conduits of that grace so that everything God gives us is to flow through us. Do you know what subpoint one under core value four is? Probably not. It's cool. I'll tell you. But you should go to the website and study. There might be a test some Sunday. It'll happen while I'm on sabbatical because I'm not doing it. <laughs> subpoint one is this. We, as a church, will lead with irrational generosity. Irrational generosity, generosity that does not make sense to a watching world, generosity that seems foolish to a watching world, generosity that seems nuts to people that aren't Christians. Because we know this principle, everything we have came from God and it is not ours to hold, it is ours to distribute. Does that mean that God doesn't want you to enjoy? God wants you to enjoy course he does. God wants you to have things. Of course he does. But God never wants that to be your goal. He wants him to be your goal. Let's get into this here. 
Um, I'm going to read you the first four verses. That's what we're going to tackle. You can follow along and then we'll break them apart a little bit. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I, discuss, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that then there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So those are the four verses that we're dealing with, and, um, and we're going we're gonna to break them apart a little bit, and we're going to see what's happening, and then we're going to see the basic principles for generosity and giving that exist in it. Right? So the first thing is in verse 1, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, I've directed the other churches to do this, and I'm directing you to do this also. You'll notice that Paul uses the word direction, right? He does not use the word encourage. He does not use the word advise. He does not use the word please. He says, I've directed the churches of Galatia to do this, and so I'm directing you to do the same. And what he's asking for is that they contribute, right, um, in generosity to people that are struggling. Specifically, uh, people will we'll read in, in verse 4 that are in Jerusalem. So we don't know for sure what's happening in Jerusalem. Um, we, we read in Acts, what is it, 11 um, verses 27 to 30, that there's a famine in Jerusalem. And so it's possible that part of this offering is going uh, to help meet needs because of a severe famine that's happening um, in Jerusalem. It, it's also possible that because of the severe persecution against Christians in that city, right, that, that there is um, people that can't work, they can't earn a living, and therefore are in desperate need of help. Right? Remember, Jerusalem is, is the, the center of Jewish worship. And people that are worshiping Christ are rejected by the Jews. They're being persecuted by the Jews. So if you were a Jewish individual who came to know Jesus, and listen, listen, we talked about this last week. People in the early church, in the New Testament, in other parts of the world, you don't follow Jesus quietly. So people that would have come to follow Jesus, even though it was detrimental to them, their lives, their livelihood, their relationships, they would have stood up and said, I met a guy named Jesus and you need to know him because he saves my soul and he changes my life and I want you to know him. And maybe some people would respond to that, but many people would come against that person. They might be fired from their work. If they own their own business, they, they might no longer have customers right? They might be charged extra in the marketplace, right? All of a the sudden, they would be in some financial hardship. And so for whatever the reason, if it's the famine, if it's the persecution, a combination of the two, right? The churches are taking a collection to send back to basically their home sending base, right? Because all of the churches came from Jerusalem as the Christians spread, as the missionary journeys went, right? That happened from the center of Jerusalem. So all of the churches are sending support back. And Paul says, that's what you're to do also. Because God didn't give you stuff for you to have. God gave you stuff so that you could be conduits of his generosity and his grace. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what we call stewardship. So, so here, here's the, the reality that we don't understand as much as we should. You don't actually own your stuff. 
You are stewards of your stuff. A steward is a manager of someone else's resources. That's what a steward is, right? It's not their things. They don't own things for their own benefit, but they manage someone else's resources. That's how it works. When I was a kid, we used to go to Grandma Hans's and we'd all eat dinner and watch TV at Grandma Hans's. Good times were had by everybody. And the easiest thing to order when you're a bunch of people getting together is what? Pizza. Pizza. Of course it is. And then it was really good because it was Little Caesars, right? But it was Little Caesars then, which meant you got two pizzas. So we'd order pizzas and we'd go get pizzas. But guess what grandma hated? This isn't a hard guess. What did grandma hate? Thank you. She hated pizza. But there was a place right across the street from grandma's house called Jim's Rib Haven. It's delicious. <laughs> that, listen to me. Yes. Yes. You and I are making a road trip. Two hours, we're going to Rock Island, Illinois, and we're going to dig on some ribs. It's going to be delicious. Um, but Jim's Rib Haven was right across the street, and Grandma liked their, their pulled pork sandwiches. And so we'd order pizza. Dad would go get the pizza, and I or my brother or my cousins or whoever it was would go across the street and get Grandma's sandwich. And, and I was the youngest, so it was never my job to go until one day Grandma said, you know what, Matt? Maddie, I was Maddie. You know what, Maddie? You should go get the sandwich. And so she gave me the money and I went across the street and I paid for the sandwich and I got the change, right? And they said, it'll be a few minutes. And I sat down and right next to where I was sitting were video games. And I had change that I used to play video games. I was just going to use one quarter, right? Just one quarter because it was no big deal. Except I died really quickly <laughs> and the sandwich wasn't ready yet. And so I was going to use another quarter and I did. And I ended up using a lot of quarters and I went back to grandma and I gave her her change and she's like, did they get more expensive? Like we had a moment where she was almost never going to order another sandwich from Jim's until I fessed up that, well, actually, I played the video games. See, here's the, here, here's the thing. That wasn't my money. I was a steward of that money. I was meant to manage that money. She gave it to me with a specific purpose in mind, and I was meant to manage it on her behalf. I did a poor job. It's like the parable of the talents that we read uh, in Matthew, right? When, when the master gives the servants, he gives one servant five bags of silver. He gives another two bags of silver and he gives the last one one bag of silver. And he says, here, I want you to take my money. I want you to have it and use it on my behalf while I'm gone. The servants know that money does not belong to them. It belongs to the master that gave it to them and their job is not to use it however they will, but their job is to use it to benefit the master that gave it to them. They are stewards. We are stewards of everything that we have. None of it belongs to us. In an earthly sense, it belongs to us. 
right? In an earthly sense, nobody can take it from you, well, except the government, but nobody can take it from you. I, that was, see, listen, that was not meant to be political. That was meant to be silly. I don't mind paying taxes. I love police and fire departments, and when they pick up my trash, that's awesome. I'm all in, right? So forget I said that, right? Nobody gets to take it from you in an earthly sense, right? But from a spiritual sense, it's not yours. Everything comes from the one who blesses you with it. Even your ability to earn it comes from God. We're stewards. And, and, and so Paul says the expectation is that you act as a steward. And therefore, when there is a need, Paul's not asking the church in Corinth. He's not suggesting to the church in Corinth that they do something to help the struggling believers in Jerusalem. He's not saying, hey guys, would you please consider an above and beyond gift to help these folks out? They're starving, right? Would, would you please consider helping out this person who is destitute, right? Will you please think about it? Go home and pray about it and then make your decision and let me know. He's saying, no, this is the expectation because this stuff isn't yours. What you have comes to you from God and God expects you to steward it well, to use it to bless those who are struggling. The people in Jerusalem are struggling and therefore, here's my direction to you. Get it ready because I'm coming and I expect the collection to be ready and we will get it to Jerusalem that's the way it goes. And so part of our issue, part of our issue when it comes to giving and generosity and being faithful in that way is we, we have this mind stickiness, right? Where it's like, it's, it's, it's my stuff. It's my stuff. But the reality is no, it's God's. And he asks us to expect, he, he expects us to act accordingly. We keep going here. Um, and, oh, man. And we jump in. And then, and then he shares some principles about giving that, that are helpful for us, right? He starts here with a couple of things just in the first part of verse 2. On the first day of every week, tells us a couple of things. On the first day of every week means that this is something that is supposed to be um, practiced regularly. Spontaneous giving is awesome. Spontaneous giving happens when it's giving that you did not plan to do, but that God, the Holy Spirit, impresses a, a, a need upon your heart, and you, out of generosity and selflessness, respond to it, right? You see the person on the side of the street that, that just is in hurt and in need, and you spontaneously decide to respond. Or you're, you're walking down the street, and you feel the Holy Spirit impress upon you, hey, that person there needs a blessing. Share what you have in your wallet with them. And when you respond to those things, right, when you respond to those things, when you're hearing a missionary talk and, and he's explaining or she's explaining the work that she's doing overseas and how she's sharing the gospel with people that need to know the gospel, right? And, and, and serving people that are less than and, and, and trying to come alongside and help. And you're like, man, that is amazing. I, I don't know what I got, but it's yours. Spontaneous giving and God will use that in great ways. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Here, Paul's talking about something that's systematic. It's regular. He says, on the first day of every week, this is what you are to do. Systematic, regular. 
Not a one-time thing, not a when the, when the Spirit moves me kind of a thing, but systematic, regular. Now, some of you are like, but Matt, I do mine every month. Okay, right? But that's still systematic. It's still regular, okay? The other thing in this on the first day of every week we know is, look, this is worship. Where do you suppose this happened? On the first day of every week is the day we gather for corporate worship, right? It, it wasn't right, before Jesus, but Jesus rose on the first day of every week on Sunday. And so guess what? When the, when the church, the early church started meeting to celebrate and worship Jesus, right, and, and the gospel, they did it on Sunday. So when Paul says, hey, the first day of every week, he's saying it's systematic. He's also saying this, when you give, please do it with an attitude of worship, not reluctance. It's the same thing we would say when you stand and sing, don't stand and sing begrudgingly. That's not my favorite song. I'll sing it, but I ain't going to like it. Right? Oh, man. I can't believe we're going to play that bridge again. Oh, man. I can't believe they only played that bridge four times. Right? We don't stand and sing reluctantly. We stand and do it as an act of worship because it's not about us. It's about the one we're singing about. Right? We, we open our words and we follow along and we say, man, Matt really stunk today. That happens. You should be me. Because listen, when you know it, I know it. And you should be me in, in, in the first service because when you know it in the first service, that wasn't very good, Matt. I know it in the first service. But then guess what happens? I got to do it again. The struggle is real. But God isn't asking you to rate my sermon. He's asking you to follow along with his word and engage the best you can. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about worship. It's about him. It's about the one we're reading about, learning about. Paul says your giving is the same thing. Your giving is an act of worship. So don't give it begrudgingly. Don't give it thinking about what you should instead be doing with this money you know, about the vacation you might want to take or about the, the lunch that you're going to have to settle for grilled cheese instead of uh, whatever else you were going to make or where you were going to go out. But give it joyfully. Paul says God loves a cheerful giver, right? Core value number four, right? Our first point, we will lead with irrational generosity. Why? Because it's an act of worship. So a couple of principles here. Do it systematically and do it with a heart of worship, So on the first day of each week, because it's worship and because it's systematic, here's what you're going to do. Each one of you is to put something aside and store it up. Here's the principle here. This is individual. Each one of you. Now, I can say this with confidence so you can feel however you want to feel right now. I do not know which ones of you give. I, those of you that give, I don't know how much you give. And please understand this with, with the, the, the most sincerity that I can give it to you. I don't care. I care that God has your heart. As your pastor, I care that your heart's not divided. I don't care what your number is. Right? I don't treat you differently because I think you give some. I don't treat you differently because I don't think you give. I don't treat you differently because I think you give a lot. I have zero idea. 
I don't know the answer to any of those things. And, and frankly, I don't want to know the answer to any of those things. I want to know, does God have your heart? Is your heart divided or is it submitted to Jesus? But, but Paul's clear here when he says, nobody gets to be exempt from this. So listen to me. I, I'm going to tell you what this principle means, and you can deal with it as you will. It means it doesn't matter how broke you are. You are expected to participate according to God in the grace of giving. You're like, but Matt, I'm busted. I get it. I'm not sure I have enough money to participate in the grace of giving. I know. What is this supposed to look like? Listen, listen. I understand. I understand. But I'm just telling you what what God has orchestrated and God has said that you are to participate in giving. Even if you feel like you don't have enough to participate in giving. And I'm going to tell you, I have been there. I have been there with a conviction in my heart that I needed to give. And at the same time, I have extended myself so much that I barely have enough to cover paycheck to paycheck. Much less, what does it look like to give? But I can tell you the reality is that God isn't offering out clauses in this. Because what he says is, I want your heart. And we're going to, this is why giving is intentionally meant to be sacrificial. Sacrificial giving means that your giving should actually cost you something. If your giving regularly fits nicely within your budget and it doesn't change your lifestyle one little bit, then I think God might ask you if you're living the generous life that he calls you to. If you never have to sacrifice something that you desire so that you can give, there's probably a disconnect. Right? If at the end of the month, I feel like I can give and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, buy whatever I want, whenever I want, go wherever I want, whenever I want, then, then probably God might be asking me to be a little bit more generous. Because if it doesn't, it's supposed to be sacrificial. When was the last time you said no to yourself so that you could give? When was the last time you said no to yourself so that you could help spread the gospel in a third world country where people don't have it? When was the last time you said no to yourself so you could help contribute to the translating of a Bible in a language that somebody could have for their very own? When was the last time you said no to yourself, right, so that you could help feed those that were hungry or clothe those that were naked? It's the last time you said no to yourself so you could participate more fully in bringing a hurting world the hope of Jesus Christ. God expects this to be sacrificial. Look what he says here in Mark. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. He watched as the crowds dropped in their money. And there were some rich folks who put in large amounts. 
Then there was a poor widow who came and dropped in two small coins. And, and from a worldly perspective, right, we would say, man, those guys sacrificed with their giving. She didn't really sacrifice. She just put in two small coins, a penny's worth. That's not a sacrifice, right? Except here's what Jesus said. Jesus calls them over and he says to them, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all of the others who are making contributions because they gave a tiny part of their surplus that did not cause them anything. It didn't cause them to make decisions for God. It didn't cause them to say no to anything to make God and his mission more of a priority in their life. They just gave what they had and they kept on living this life that they enjoyed and it was no skin off their back. But this widow, as poor as she is, she has given everything she had to live on. She sacrificed to participate in the grace of giving that God had commanded her as an act of worship. And here's the deal. That is a faith endeavor. Because if Jesus is to be taken at his word, and listen to me, Jesus is always to be taken at his word. Always. If Jesus is to be taken at his word, she put in everything. Hey, bring me a jelly. <laughs> she put in everything she had to live on. What did she eat? What did she eat that day? Where did it come from? Who provided it? Right? What, what happened if she had a medical need? Where was that going to come from? She didn't know. Except here's what we can we can do, we can say that when we live this life, when we live a sacrificial life, it's a life of faith because it puts God in position to come through or we're sunk. I mean, that's, that's real faith at some point. Faith that puts in a position where, where God either shows up or I'm done for. And listen, when you follow God's will, right, you, you know that you're finding yourself in exactly the right position. I don't know how it'll work out. I don't know what it'll look like. But when you're following the will of God, you are in exactly the right spot. We keep going. Some of you are like, Matt, it's really inconvenient. Yeah, God delights in your obedience when it's not convenient. He delighted in the widow's givering. Jesus called his disciples, these, these giants of faith that are, that are sitting with Jesus now, right? right? Like, like on his right and his left, here's what we're told. Like, we, we don't know who's where. That's up to God. But he's like, yeah, you'll, you'll be with me in my kingdom. Yes, we, we know that we are the, the 12 judges of these tribes and, and all of this, and it's all real. And, and, and these mountains, uh, these giants of faith, and, and, he, and he says, guys, come here, come here, come here, come here. I am so thrilled with this widow. Why? Because she was so obedient when it was so inconvenient. God delights in that, and he'll delight in that with you too. And some of you are like, Matt, I just don't know how I could ever make that work. I get it, and I don't have an answer for you. Like, I, I'm not going to tell you that there's a magic formula 
right? Because God doesn't work in a magic formula kind of a way. And anybody that tells you God does work in a magic formula kind of way is probably someone you want to be skeptical of. But here's what I can tell you. God delights in obedience even when it's hard. Where's Phobita at? Right here. These two are leading a class right now. Just started last week, so it's probably not too late to jump in unless you give me a dirty look. No dirty look. We're good. They're leading a class called Financial Peace University right? That talks about handling your money God's way. Listen to me. I'm going to make you an offer. If you are sitting here and going, Matt, I, I want to be a part of the grace of giving and I want God's generosity to flow through me. And I don't, I don't want to be a hoarder. I want to be a steward of everything God's given me, but I, I don't know how to start. And I don't even think I can afford to take the class. Listen, I'll buy your kit. Come talk to me. You tell me I'll buy your kit, but hurry up because class number two is tomorrow night. Class number two is next Monday. <laughs> so honestly, take me up on it, right? Because this is, this is about your heart. It's about your heart. God doesn't need your stuff, but he wants your heart. And money is the one thing that is so attached, right? It says, if you can strip that away, if you can see that differently, if you can view that differently, then that's going to open up a whole world of possibilities where you can just surrender to Jesus. Keep going. Systematic. It's worship. Every individual is supposed to be involved. And yes, that means for some of us, it will be a sacrifice. For all of us, it should be. And then he says this thing, set aside the funds as you prosper, you should give. This is the principle of sharing the weight. Sharing the weight, sharing the responsibility, right? That's why in the Old Testament, God institutes what we know as the tithe. Tithe means 10%. Now, the 10% tithe doesn't necessarily exist in the Old Testament. It's still a principle that we can look to, and it's a great starting point for us to understand what it means to be generous, right? So we're not throwing it away, right? But, but in the Old Testament, these Christians that were Jews that had converted to Christianity, they would have been familiar with this concept of proportional giving. God asks you to give from what you have, not from what you don't have. You know, our budget here at the church, do you know what our budget is, what our, what our yearly number is that, that we expect through giving, through offering, through tithes, and donations to the church. 300 and I think this year, $373,000. I know. <laughs> right? Doug's he's like, that's a lot. It is a lot. But I'm not asking any of you, God's not asking any of you, the elders of the church, the leadership, don't ask any of you to cover that number. If one of you wanted to, like, good on you. I'm going to say no. But, but here, here's the issue with proportional giving, right? When everybody participates based on how God has blessed them, then that number is never an issue, right? When we're all faithful with what God has given us and we're conduits of that grace, then we never have to worry about, well, how come, you know, how come I'm the only one supporting the ministry? How come I'm the only one doing these things? No, God's not called us to be the only one. God's called us to share this responsibility in the church. 
He's blessed us each, and he's asked us to contribute proportionally to that based on how he's blessed us. Listen, God will never ask five bags worth of silver return from the dude he gave two bags of silver to. Right? Remember the parable, right? He gave one guy five, he gave another guy two, and then he gave a a, a guy one. Right? And he said, based on what I've given you, I want you to go steward it well. God will never ask five bags worth of return from the guy he gave two bags to. But listen, what God has given you, he expects you to be responsible and generous with. Proportionate giving. Okay. Now, there's this last part here. I didn't underline it, but so that there will be no collecting when I come. There's just one thing you need to understand there. The reason Paul says to take this seriously is because Paul, Paul's basically saying, look, this is supposed to be systematic, it's supposed to be proportional, it's supposed to be individual, it's supposed to be sacrificial, and God does not want your leftovers. God doesn't want your leftovers. We actually do the giving first for a couple of reasons. One is it's certainly a lot more of a faith exercise when I give first. Think of the widow, right? She didn't make sure she had dinner secured, then give. She gave and then trusted God to figure it out, right? God isn't necessarily interested in your leftovers. He wants your first and your best, not because he needs more, but because he wants your heart. He wants your heart. So he wants you to give out of a proportion of what he's given him, a sacrificial, systematic, worshipful amount, and then trust him with the results. Rather than live your life, your best life, go out and have fun and live it up, and whatever you have left over at the end, all right, we'll scrape it together and give it to God. It's not what he's asking for. And then he finishes up with this last principle. And this one is for the church, not for the individual. This one is for the church, and it has some responsibility for you as church members, for us, the church leadership. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable, then I um, will also go. Right? If it seems advisable that I should go, then I'll accompany them. Right? This is Paul's way of saying, I don't want to touch your money. Paul's saying that we need to handle money wisely. And as church leadership, we need to handle it wisely. As church members, you need to insist that we handle it wisely, that we be above reproach. Does this mean that you should bicker with the church leadership about whether we spend $30 for this or for that? No, that's not what it means. But it does mean that you should insist on accountability. You should insist on above reproachedness, right? Paul's not saying... Listen, trust me, I won't dip into the funds you collected. He's saying, I won't even touch it. We take this seriously. We take this absolutely seriously. I don't touch our money. Right? We have separate people that count it. Never one person by themselves, but always two that count it together. That gets reported out. We have accountants that we use that can audit at any time. We have open books. Every month we get financial reports. You ever want to see them, come ask, right? But we want to be as above reproach as possible. I can't write checks. I can't access the accounts of the church. None of the staff can. 
We have other people that have to come in to sign checks if we want to write checks. It's really annoying for them. But it's really pleasant for us because we get to see them sometimes. But this is the way we work. Why? Because we want to be wise. We want to be above reproach. And as church members, you should be able to insist on that. Okay. That's it for those four verses. Paul says, giving is a responsibility for everyone that calls themselves a Christian. Why? Because God insists on having your heart. Don't go away yet, Philip. God insists on having your heart. And so he says, so as you give, remember, it's individual, it's practical, it's worshipful, it's intentional, it's um, the first of what you do. It should be a sacrifice. It should be regular and systematic. Now, I just want to give a a couple of practical things for some of you here um, quickly. One is this. Some of you are like, I don't know how I can give. I get it. So here's my encouragement to you. Start. You're like, but Matt, I don't know how to do it. I know. And you'll never figure it out unless you start. And because God is not interested in your money, he's interested in your heart, he is not necessarily interested in, in, in you getting to 100% of giving and generosity right this second, and he ain't interested in your back pay. He just wants your heart, right? So no matter where you are in giving is not the issue. You may be sitting here and you've never given before. Fine. What God is interested in moving forward is your heart. You may be in a position where you say, Matt, I want to give. I get it, right? But I literally have so little wiggle room, I have no idea how it would work. Okay, start small. Again, God's not interested in your money as much as he is interested in your heart. So start. Make a commitment, right? So I want to make it as practical as I can for you. Um, Here's what we know from the latest census data. That the average, I don't, I don't know what you make unless you've told me, which is weird. Don't do that, right? But the average household income in Benton County within a 50, actually not Benton County, within a 15-minute drive time of this building, because we have community reports that we ask for that give us all kinds of information. This is one of them. The average income for a household within 15 minutes of this church drive time is $52,000 a year. Some of you, you're above that as a household. Some of you are far below that as a household. Listen, I'm just using $50,000 then because that's an average median number, right? So if that's your number and you decide, you know what? I know that I need to give. My household needs to participate in the grace of giving, but I got no wiggle room. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Start at 1%. Figure out how you can make some sacrifices, trust God for some things, and start at 1%. 1% of that annual income for your family works out to, I did the math before, I was in my office using my calculator, it's $9.61 a month. No, I'm sorry, a week. $9.60 a week. Now, you may be stretched thin paycheck to paycheck, but here's what I'm betting. I'm betting because it's an act of worship and it's an act of sacrifice. It's an act of saying, God, you've got my heart. I'm betting you can figure out how to finagle $9 a week. I don't know what that looks like in your budget or in your decisions, 
But I'm betting it's there. And God wants your heart. Some of you, man, you've been tithing for so long. You're like, I I got this. I'm tithing. Great. Then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to excel in the grace of giving, not just be okay at it. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. So he sends this first letter to them, and he says, look, I want you to practice giving. That's what you have to do. He sends in the second letter, he says, look, you did that. That was great. Now it's time to excel in the grace of giving. He says, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, in your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, in your enthusiasm, your love, right? Now, excel also in the gracious act of giving. Excel at it. It's his encouragement to you. So therefore, that's my encouragement to you. If you are already someone who gives systematically, he gives proportionally, she gives regularly, they're they're actively a part of this. They understand that this is the way it's supposed to be. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do what Paul asked the church to do. Once they got good at giving regularly, he asked them to excel at it. I'm going to ask you to excel at it. What does that mean? Well, it means you might get above that 10%. How do you spend it? I don't know. Maybe you decide to give more to the church because you appreciate the ministry and the mission of the church. Maybe you decide to fund missionaries and to help pay for missionaries or other um, kingdom advancing nonprofit organizations. They exist all over the place. Maybe you decide that you're just going to hold money in reserve so that you can be generous when God presents a need to you for a family or a person that really is desperate. I don't know what it looks like for you, but the Holy Spirit will take care of that. But for some of you, it's time for you to excel in the grace of giving because we talk about giving and tithing and and you checked out a long time ago because you're like, yeah, I got that. I do that. Like you heard some things and you're like, yep, check mark, check mark, check mark, nailing it. Great. So now let's step into this. Excel in the grace of giving. There's a problem why we in this culture don't excel in the grace of giving. Because once we hit a a threshold where we're like, we're giving, I'm tithing, and that's great, right? But then we continue to move. Here's what happens. Your standard of living continues to increase, but your standard of giving never does. But that's not God having your whole heart. So, so here's my encouragement to you. As your standard of giving, I'm sorry, as your standard of living increases, please allow your standard of giving to also increase. Right? As, as you look around in your life and, and you could afford more luxury, right? Or, or you can start putting away more, or you can start adding more to your retirement, or you can start having bigger and better and more frequent vacations and all of these things. Yes, you're still tithing. You've never stopped tithing. And, and, and you're you're now in a position where you can have more of these things, well, then my encouragement to you, if you want to excel at the grace of giving, your standard of giving has to keep pace with your standard of living. It can't lag behind and have you say, yes, God has my whole heart. All right, listen. For those of you that are like, every time I come to church, all they talk about is money. It's not true. It's been over a year. And we're only talking about it now because it's in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, 
right? And so next week we will move on and we won't hit this again, but I'm not going to be embarrassed about it and I'm not going to apologize for it because um, this matters to God because it is about your heart. And Jesus modeled this for us. He excelled in irrational generosity by pouring himself out on our behalf. And we, who are dedicated to following him in everything, ought to be in the business of doing the same for other people in his name. Let me pray for you and uh, we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious and kind and we love you. God, we thank you that you are irrationally generous to us. Everything we have, everything we have comes from you. Everything we have is a gift from your good hand. Our ability to do things, to earn, to, to, to minister, to share, all of that is a blessing that you've given us. God, we thank you for those gifts, but more importantly, we thank you that you led in generosity when you sent your one and only son and he led in generosity when he willingly came to earth and he willingly took on human flesh and willingly was born in a lowly manger and willingly lived a humbled life and willingly laid that life down on the cross so that we could experience the grace of God. Father, help us um, to accept that truth. Help us then to submit to Jesus as Lord, to give him our whole heart and to lead likewise. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for uh, the fathers here, not just um, our, our biological fathers, but, but our fathers in the faith, uh, men that have taken it um, onto themselves to, to just disciple and minister in the church uh, just to make you known and to help us grow. God, we thank you for them, and, and, and I pray a blessing on them, and I pray a blessing on those uh, that are grieving today um, because of a loss of a father and the loss of their children for things just not quite the way they should be. God, I pray, uh, God, I pray a blessing on uh, the women that are coming without their husbands and the kids that are coming without their fathers. God, I pray that you will strengthen their hearts, that you will hold them steadfast, and that you will, that you will grab hold of the hearts of their husbands. I think about those many conversations that, that I've had with, with people in that situation, God, and, and, and the tears that are shed, and I just ask you, to, to calm their spirits and, and to speak strength and perseverance into their hearts. God, we thank you for who you are and for the blessings that you give. And, and uh, we just pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.